Um, great to see you all. <clears throat> um, this evening, um, I'm going to pray in a few, few moments. I, I'm dealing with some controversial stuff this evening. So, um, if I say anything uh, that triggers anyone here and you need to chat further, I'm very happy to chat about it. But it will become clear. I hope that won't happen, but if it did, I am very happy to talk to anyone about it. So, um, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. I pray, Lord, that um, I preach your holy word in a holy way. Lord, we ask that we'd have ears to hear what you're saying and ears to shut off, shut off the things that, that you're not saying. I pray, Lord, that when we hear your word, you give us the courage and the grace to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's focus is a big dispute in the early church that divided the church, or had the potential to divide the church and set the course of church history. Um, in Acts 15, there's a significant meeting. It's like the Supreme Court of the early church grappling with a huge issue about whether circumcision was going to affect their faith or not, or salvation. Now, the Church of England today is grappling with some really big issues, and, um, and I just want to talk about this in parallel, the uh, issue of same-sex blessings. In Acts 15, uh, the issue was who's really in and out of the church family. It's a salvation issue. Some people have tried to make the current debates in the Church of England a salvation matter. I don't believe that it is. It's really important, but ultimately God decides who's in and out of his eternal family. In Acts 15, some Christians from a Jewish background were teaching Gentiles who are non-Jews uh, that they must be circumcised and follow Jewish customs in order to be saved. But Paul and Barnabas say, no, that's, not, um, that's completely wrong. You simply have to put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus and nothing else. Jesus plus nothing. It begs the question, who decides who's in and out of God's family? Who is saved and how? Ultimately, I believe, God decides these things. I think we need to be careful not to set the salvation entry points wider than God sets them or more narrowly than God sets them. I heard a story just over a week ago, some of us were on a diocesan conference. And I think this is, um, um, I don't know how many years ago this was, but I make no excuse for the story a vicar shared that uh, someone came to him to be married, but it was a lady who came uh, with the three smaller fingers of her left hand missing. And the vicar refused to do the service because there was nowhere to put the ring. 
And while that's quite a shocking story, I just wonder when we've applied that principle to the entry of people into this church or any other church. I think we all have to be quite careful about such things. It's no surprise that this potential bride didn't stick around very long in that particular church. But the good news story about this is sometimes later, I think it was probably decades and decades later, she was reconciled with God and with the church. But I just wonder how many people have felt unnecessarily excluded because of the petty rules and regulations that we've set. In Acts 15... It was decided that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. Praise the Lord for that. Um, But after much debate, Peter stood up reminding everyone that God had already accepted the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit key, just as he'd done with the Jews, just as he does with us. He emphasized that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not through adherence to Jewish laws. But they should abstain from certain practices associated with idolatry, sexual immorality, and consuming blood or meat from strangled animals. Now this is complicated because we know from Acts 10 and 1 Corinthians 8 that actually as Christians we can eat foods sacrificed to idols. We can eat all sorts of food that they thought was unclean, but the key point that's made, those of you who are more mature in your faith, just sometimes, sometimes you need to refrain from things that might cause a barrier to others, even if they are a little bit misguided and they don't appreciate the grace of God. However, when it comes to sexual immorality, there's no getting around the rules, although some of us might set the boundaries for sexual immorality in slightly different ways. And I could um, say something inappropriate and mention presidents of the United States, but I'm not going to go there. When the church makes rules and doctrines about church practice, we need to have wisdom and grace. It's the general synod of the Church of England this, this coming week, next weekend. And um, I'm not, oh, I don't normally look, but I did this time. I wondered what was on, on the agenda. So it's uh, the contribution of faith to prisoner rehabilitation. Um, very sadly, and this is really sad on the whole of the church of all time, safeguarding is quite up the agenda. And then also a response to the climate emergency. If you've been watching the news this week, it's probably slipped off many people's radar now that we're a little bit short of cash. What a tragedy. But the other thing that's maybe not going to be discussed this time is living in love and faith, which is hugely sensitive because it's about prayers of blessing for same-sex couples. Now, Um, they're not publishing these prayers just at the moment, and when they do, we can discuss them as a church. 
But some will remember me saying at the APCM in April that I recognize that it's not an issue that we're all going to agree upon. But if we disagree, we must disagree well and with grace. And I believe that God does guide us through the scripture, through tradition, and reason. At the heart of this debate is our interpretation of scripture. And in the light of that, how we offer a generous welcome, love, and care to all. And although tradition is very important, and I lean upon it, maybe the Bible trumps that. But both tradition and reason are very much at play. I hold a more historical and traditional view about sex and marriage, but I do so with increasing compassion for those who feel and think differently. The prayers that have been drafted by people in General Synod will come under much scrutiny, and none have been formally proposed yet. As I've said before, it's highly likely that some of the prayers that will be published will push clergy beyond what we prepare to pray. For others, the prayers not yet passed by Synod won't go far enough, and they'll be campaigning for same-sex marriage, not just blessing. Ultimately, we're all answerable to God, and leaders will be especially accountable for what we do or we don't do in God's name. And whilst we're all invited to have an opinion, it's one of the roles of clergy to offer sacred blessings. It matters to God who and what we choose to bless in his name. One possibility that's been debated is if it'll be down to individual clergy in our different settings with our different interpretations of Scripture to decide according to our own conscience. I appreciate that this subject is not a detached theological debate for many and may impact you personally and those you know and love. With these debates as a backdrop, I've been reflecting on my way of parenting, imperfect as it is, as a way of understanding God. We don't always, you might be different, we don't always give our children what they want, even though we love them. The same could be said of God. I believe that parents, like God, want to set safe and secure boundaries, exercise firmness with fairness, justice with mercy. We observe our son and daughter-in-law dealing with their three children. They do a really good job. We notice uh, when there's a dispute between them and one of their children or between the children that they limit the choice. They give two choices. This is rather binary, and the parents only um, offer choices which they'd be happy with them saying yes to. Sadly, life and ethical and theological debates are a lot more complex than that, and most people won't um, accept our binary, narrow 
choices that we give them. I think we need to resist a universalist approach which says anything is acceptable and because God loves us, it doesn't matter how we live, all are going to heaven anyway. Another approach is that we need to settle this debate my way or I'm leaving the Church of England. Maybe you've got your red lines and I've got mine. But church history shows that even if we form a church with like-minded people, weed out everyone who disagrees with us, it won't be long before someone punctures that utopian bubble. There's never been and there never will be a perfect church until Jesus returns to take us home, his perfect and spotless bride. Surely it's possible to love and care for others without saying blessings that might go against our conscience. Maybe a mature way forward is to work with difference. I wonder, if I promise to love you and respect you as a person made in God's image, that out of love and respect for me, you don't ask or expect me to do things in God's name to compromise my historic beliefs. There's a difference between offering to pray for someone for God's guidance and presence, etc., and we'd offer those prayers for absolutely everyone, versus praying a formal prayer of blessing over a relationship. In a sermon a few weeks ago, I also talked about how we interpret the Bible and Old Testament law in different ways, civil law, ceremonial law, and moral law, and, um, and just how that changed with Jesus. Some of it we could abandon. Other aspects of it, um, Jesus fulfilled. Other aspects he took to a slightly different level. Now, um, in the back next to... Um, the pictures of all the staff members. I've got a whole list of Bible passages that people often talk about when they're thinking about living in love and faith. And um, they're all listed there, along with a load of books uh, with historic perspectives and pro progressive perspectives. I've not read any of them, by the way. I just asked people to offer a selection of books that if you want to explore, explain either side of the argument. Genesis 1 and 2 talk about uh, being made in God's image, male and female, distinct, distinct but complementary. The two Bible passages that are often used to um, um, suggest a more inclusive, progressive approach are Acts 10 and Acts 15, both of which I've been... Um, preaching on over the last few weeks. In Acts 10, a few weeks ago, I quoted verse 34. God does not show favoritism, but accepts, ev accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. The Holy Spirit helps us to know what is right. Today, it's Acts 15. A decision was made with the guidance of the Holy Spirit 
they were learning to disagree well, learning to walk together with their different backgrounds and views. We, like them, need the wisdom of Solomon when dealing with complex issues. When we talk about Solomon, what passage comes to mind for you? For me, it's 1 Kings 3, and it's in verses 16 to 28, but there's a story about two women that have had a baby. Anyone familiar with this story? And one of the baby dies. And then the two women are fighting over whose baby it is. And Solomon, I think, takes a sword. And he says, I'll cut the baby in half and effectively give you half each. And one of the ladies thought that was an okay thing to do. And the other one, who happened to be the mother, would rather the other rather callous lady, look after her baby rather than the baby die. I wonder whether that might not be a metaphor for the church and the pure and spotless bride of Christ that we're called to be. Many times during church history, it's felt to me as though people have got the sword out And when they've not agreed with someone else's opinion, they've decided to form another denomination and another denomination and another denomination. As I said a little bit earlier, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Someone will eventually burst your utopian bubble. Many of the things that we've explored today are not divorced from real-life experiences of family and friends that are close to us. They're deeply personal, and maybe you want to know what this looks like in your life and in your family. I want to close with a story from a mum in our church family who was not trying to influence the debate on same-sex blessings at all, just simply sharing her story with me a story of heartache and pain. She's given me permission to share her story with you. She told me about her son, who came out as being gay. Her son knew that his mum and dad were committed Christians and members of this church. And after he came out, um, he was really open with them about what he was feeling, but then went into his shell lived in the same home, but seemed to withdraw. Don't worry about me, forget me, concentrate on the other two siblings, he effectively was saying. Seemed to be writing himself out of that family setup. To which the mum responded, you may as well be asking me not to breathe. I can never stop loving you. I'll love you whatever. She had fears for her son's well-being. There are dangers in the world from unkind and bigoted people. It was a difficult and confusing time for her. She wrestled and prayed about it. And in that time heard a voice from God. And this is quite rare. But God said to her, 
Your job is to love him. She felt that she needed to let everything go. All the debates and speculation. Let go of the things that were out of her control. To let go and to let God. When there are conflicts, disagreements, complexities, we need the wisdom of Solomon and the unconditional love of God. We look to Jesus who demonstrates through the Gospels that he had, a, had to be clear and unwavering at times, but was also compassionate and encourages us not to be judgmental. God's a loving father. God loves all people. Through repentance and faith, we're invited into his family. Those who do will be transformed to be more like Jesus. God sets good, loving boundaries for all who'd follow Jesus. Here at Holy Trinity Claygate, my prayer is that we can be a community that's marked by love and help all who are searching for Jesus to find him.